and welcome to The Cat Who Did a Podcast. I'm your host, Susan Romsdorf-Terry. And I'm Luke Romsdorf-Terry, and this is a podcast where we read a book from the Cat Who Mystery series and discuss it, although it's a bit different this episode. Today, on today's podcast, we are going to be talking about The Cat Who Cookbook. Yes, this is a book that I was able to find. Uh, this is the updated one, which uh, was, I think, the final printing of it was right before LBJ's... Uh, LJB, sorry. LBJ. <laughs> yes, uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson, notorious cat who fan. Exactly, yes. This final third edition was published in January 2006, and we lost Lily and Jackson Braun in 2007. Now, so with this, we wanted to try a couple recipes. So I know you've got some notes on this, but we, we, we did three recipes. I did. Um, so with this, um, we tested out an appetizer... A uh, a main course and a dessert. So our very first test was the famous cubbibbles. <laughs> These were created by Celia Robinson, and this crunchy snack is beloved by both cats and humans. In the books, these are described uh, as Mildred describes them, basically flavored croutons. What I have found going through this book is that these recipes aren't necessarily very well tested. Um, you have to use a lot of instincts to try and figure things out of whether you're going to have enough of something or even what an ingredient is, because this one describes uh, making them with red pepper. <laughs> and it doesn't specify if it's red pepper flakes. Paprika. Or, uh, sweet paprika. Yeah, spicy cayenne, paprika. Smoked cayenne, whatever. Chipotle pepper. I mean, anything that could be <laughs> considered red pepper. Um, so... I want, the recipe as it's written, I decided doesn't quite deliver the can't stop eating them flavor that I was hoping for, um, despite making them with my homemade sourdough bread. That being said, um, you know, once I start sticking my hand into that bag, I do certainly eat a few more than I was planning on. And it's, when, when, the, when it first came out myself, I know I was not a huge fan of it. it like, I, I, I felt like something was missing, but I still find myself going back to the bag of them. Mm -hmm. And as we found out tonight, we made these a couple days ago, mm -hmm. but they go great on salad. They really do. That, th this particular batch really really tasted great on salad. So here's our here are my thoughts, and we're going to post the recipe as written in the book, along with any of our adjustments on our blog, Cat Who Podcast, at blogspot.com. So here's the first thing that I would recommend. I would strongly recommend using canned Parmesan cheese with this. The freshly grated stuff that we use doesn't coat things evenly. And when you get a bite that doesn't have the Parmesan on it, it's just not quite as good. No, it's and also I think there's something with the flavor of the Parmesan, at least the kind the brand I got. Maybe it wasn't because it wasn't it was grated. Yes, but it wasn't. Freshly grated, like table it's, side. It, it wasn't crumbled. I mean, yes, if you can get um, freshly crumbled Parmesan, so you're dealing with something that's a lot finer, more like a powder, mm -hmm. um, use that. But the can is going to be easier. And frankly, it's more in keeping with what Celia Robinson would do with her cooking. Very true. The second thing is resist the urge to double the olive oil. Um, looking <laughs> at the original amount, I didn't think it was enough for, because one other fun thing about this recipe, it doesn't specify specify how much bread to use. So thinking that I might be using more bread than the recipe originally planned on, I doubled the olive oil. Bad looking idea. At, looking at the book right now, it just says slices of bread, if I remember it right. Just says, uh, it, it just says day-old bread. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. say like one slice, two slice, red, yeah, there's, red slice, there, blue there's slice. There's no really, there's no real amounts. No. So, but air on the side of less olive oil. But I would say 
double the other ingredients that are in here. Um, definitely double the Worcestershire sauce. I'm, I'm, if I'm pronouncing that wrong, you can make fun of me all you want. I don't care. So anyway, um, all the other ingredients, um, worked really well, but having a little bit more helped. Um, another thing that I did was I raised our oven temp, um, to 325 degrees rather than 300 degrees. And we baked them for the full 45 minutes, which did give me mostly crunchy croutons with a couple of softer centers. And mostly this has to do with my oven tends to bake a little bit cooler than a recommended oven in a recipe. Um, Part of it also, I think, just for context, too, is since we're at high altitude, that could have been another factor as well. A little bit, but less so with this one. Um, again, on the lack of specificity, um, in addition to not specifying how much bread to use, it doesn't specify what size pan to use. Mm, so I used true. a half a loaf of sourdough bread, which filled a 12 by 17 and a half baking sheet. Uh, I used paprika for my red pepper, but if you have crushed spicy red pepper, do not use red pepper flakes. Again, the same problem with, with the Parmesan cheese, it won't coat evenly. Um, you could use that in smaller amounts and get a spicier kabibble. When I doubled the olive oil, the reason I say don't do that is because I ended up with greasy drippings in the pan. And my other, uh, my other big suggestion is if you want something that's more consistently in size and looks a little bit more professionally produced rather than rustic and homemade. Um, mine was definitely on the rustic and homemade side, but <laughs> use a commercially baked bread with a crust cut off. Homemade sourdough, it is delicious, but it doesn't cube as evenly for an even bake, as Mary Berry would say. Paul Holly would probably say a few things too, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, they were, you know, they were greasy, but the flavor was delicious. So uh, it's definitely a recipe I will be trying again uh, with a few adjustments. And if I have more success with those, I will post them on the blog. Uh, yeah, no, it's definitely, it's one that has a lot of promise, just needs a bit more refinement. Uh, refinement. refinement. And speaking of kind of refinement, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we're going in the opposite direction of that uh, for our second. Uh, Luke's decision for our second uh, for our second meal was Gary Pratt's infamous no-holds-barred burger, otherwise known as the Booze Burger. Mm -hmm. So this is a double-decker burger with all the trimmings, and it's so tall in the books that it has to be held together with a skewer after the retirement of Thumbprint Thelma, who held them together with her thumb. <laughs> On the bun. Exactly. Now, we love a burger in this house. I have We, we do, however, have some specialized tastes. Uh, my favorite burger is a rare burger with pineapple, white cheddar, and mayo, possibly with good teriyaki sauce. Luke loves a dive bars, a local dive bars burger, which has peanut butter and jelly and bacon. He also loves a good jalapeno burger from anywhere. Anywhere. There's also a specific restaurant in Denver that does what they call a Johnny burger, jalapeno <laughs> cream cheese, which ah. uh, is to die for. Absolutely. So the general thoughts on this particular recipe, it's a dang good burger. It would, however, be improved by a toasted bun, an extra slice of cheese between the burger layers. Um, Luke suggested, and we tried a second round uh, because this makes eight. This makes what we decided um, five burgers. It's supposed to make, I think, five burgers because the original recipe calls for two pounds of ground beef and some chopped onion in there, along with breadcrumbs and. Uh, this is another thing that it doesn't specify. It says a half cup of beer, mm -hmm. but it doesn't specify what kind of beer to go in. Mm -hmm. We had a couple in the fridge, one that was a uh, an English brown ale, which ended up working out great. Yeah. 
the other one we had was uh, a blonde pastry stout for Mardi Gras <laughs> that was a not king's cake. Not going to cake. be as good in the... <laughs> that would not go well. No, definitely the the rich brown ale, um, Killian's Irish Red. Oh, yeah. Anything that's going to have a little bit of body is going to add really well to this burger. So A good, that, a good German lager would be absolutely. nice as well, a nice ale. Uh, it made, because it, it's a double-decker, and so it did say that it should make about eight thin patties. Well, we made about ten, and they were still pretty good-sized. Yeah. It wasn't like a smash burger or anything, where it was just a very nice... No, this was yeah. a very good-sized burger. Um, the one other thing that I would say is, for more finicky eaters like myself, um, <laughs> a finer dice or grate on the onion in the patty mixture would be helpful. Um, the flavor on this burger really is excellent, but I hate biting into chunks of onion in my burger. <laughs> I really prefer for it when the onion is much finer so that I'm tasting the onion flavor but I'm not chewing on the onion while I'm eating my beef. We will also have some pictures that we'll post in the blog too. Uh, Right, because I think we didn't take a a one of version two which had all the modifications. Oh, you did? Yes, I did. Oh, well, I must have missed that. Yes. Um, Version two, however, we didn't get around to um, to kind of toasting the patties, unfortunately, to toasting the uh, the, the buns, buns, unfortunately. But we did do something that Luke thought might make it even more decadent. Oh, yes. Um, this is, and that and for that extra decadence, you can fry these patties in the baking grease. Because I think we should say how the, how the, and they specify how the burger should be assembled. It's bottom bun, mayonnaise, patty, single slice of cheese, patty, then bacon, ketchup, mustard, pickles, lettuce, tomato, onions, and then the top uh, part of the bun. Yeah, I I went to school with somebody who had a very specific way that they needed to eat their sandwiches. And I feel like the person who assembled this hamburger had that same kind of thing. <laughs> because when you bite into it in those specific orders, I mean, you really do get a great kick of flavor. Um, mm-hmm. We also used two, and we ended up using two different brands of dill pickles on the uh, on the burger. And the second time... Um, the was se- overwhelming. The, the dill was almost overwhelming. The first, the first brand was was much better. I think um, part of it was also the first. The first brand, the slices were much smaller. Yes, thinner, they were still there. Say. They they were still there. They were still present. It was it was a nice dill pickle. But this one was like, oh my god, there's so much dill pickle. And what was interesting in the recipe is that it didn't. It like the cheese was placed between the patties. It wasn't fried in the pan on top of the burger after you did the first yeah. flip, which was that to me. Cheese was, a odd. was very odd and only one slice of cheese i know there's some burgers that only have one but still if you're doing a double decker burger just you might as well throw the second mm-hmm. slice of cheese on there Why yeah not? do it in and out style do a true double double <laughs> um we didn't give a paw rating to the the oh, kabibbles no, um because i was writing this so quickly but for this <laughs> one we did do a paw rating um as written the paw rating we agreed on was two and a half paws. Mm-hmm. The structure is very solid, but quite frankly, as written, it's just not decadent enough as in this age of super burgers. Um, we can walk down the street and get uh, an amazing burger that's that's going to be a little bit better thought out than this. Um, and I feel like Gary Pratt would would want his burger to be as extreme as possible. So we'll post our adjustments, and you can you can tell us yours on the blog, which we'd love to hear from you. No, exactly. We'd love to hear your thoughts. We'd love to hear what you think of your, what would be your own version of a booze burger. Exactly. All right. So our final, uh, so our final meal, <laughs> because it's practically a meal in and of itself. Oh yes. Um, we, as I, Luke I, says, I, eating one of them now. The third is something I have been wanting to make for years, and that is Vonda Dudley Wicks's Chocolate Whoppers. 
These are giant cookies that were the favorite of Vonda's former boss slash lover, J.J. Hockenfield, and she attempts to get into Quill's good graces with them as well until she gets drunk off strong coffee. Um, these are described in the books as three-ish inches across and studded with walnuts and chocolate chunks. What they don't describe is the decadent chocolatey dough and delicious aroma that they have while cooking. Oh, because yeah. this is basically a chocolate chocolate chip cookie with walnuts and follows the basic tenets thereof. Um, I make a lot of chocolate chip cookies with walnuts because they are my and my father's favorite cookies. So this cookie, with the addition of the baking chocolate into the batter instead of the cocoa that I might otherwise have used, mm -hmm. is a great addition to the repertoire. Um, I made two smallish adjustments for altitude because remember we live in Denver, a mile above sea level, and for our oven. Um, first thing I did was I added an extra quarter cup of flour for altitude and baked the cookies for a full 15 minutes instead of the recommended 12 to 14. These are absolutely delicious they are when they first came out of the oven it was like oh i'm gonna have a couple of these and they're so rich you could i could yeah. only get through one yeah we managed one the first time we we've been slowly eating our way through them since then um uh -huh. but i got to admit these are not exactly what i pictured when i read the books the first time because they talk about the cats eating the cookies and leaving quill with chunks of walnut and these cookies that would be very very hard to do um from that description, I honestly was picturing more of a layer cookie with like a chocolate top, a walnut, mm -hmm. uh, a walnut filled middle, and chocolate cookie bottom. But I guess I'll have to invent those. Um, <laughs> and it should be mentioned these cookies are even better the next couple of days. Um, throw yeah. them in a plastic bag once they're cool, and they are absolutely delicious. The chocolate flavor just really settles, and it just becomes so much more richer and more it not even I, I don't want to say it's not rich and it's not overpowering but it's just like it has such a strong chocolate flavor yet it's not overpowering and the the yeah. nuttiness uh it's it's a great cookie we will be making this one more often oh absolutely oh absolutely um, even if it wasn't quite what i was expecting um the uh the paw rating we agreed on here is three to three and a half um one thing that I thought was really smart in this particular recipe is the addition of baking powder versus baking soda because it makes for a fluffier, crispy cookie mm. with still has a moist inside. Um, why the baking powder doesn't allow for as big a rise as we got on these and we really needed that extra rising agent to keep the cookies from spreading or being too flat. Mm -hmm. um, the baking chocolate, as I mentioned, is melted, cooled, and then added into the batter and that wonderful bitter sweetness keeps the cookie from being too sweet and too overwhelming uh, and it then it enhances the rich chocolate taste of the semi-sweet chocolate that is a little bit sweeter inside um, for a chocolate cookie as big as this it really doesn't have a lot of sugar it's it, it is definitely an adult chocolate chip cookie oh absolutely it's not too overly sweet but it still just has that rice that right amount of kick for it which oh. yeah yeah it's it's no it is it, it is a truly decadent cookie it really is um one other thing that i will be trying the next time i make this recipe because there will definitely be a next time several times um is <laughs> i think i'm probably going to try toasting the walnuts mm. in uh in nice. just a dry pan um walnuts tend to be a little bit oily and while the moisture helps i feel like the flavor and the crunch might be better if i get them a little bit more toasted before i mix them into this wonderful cookie batter interesting I think that's a great idea. So thank you for uh, bearing with us while we uh, while we have this little interlude episode. Um, we had a bit of a busy weekend and things got delayed a little bit, but that but we've had a lot of fun cooking and playing around with some of these ingredients, and maybe we'll try some more. I know. I'm, I'm already looking at one I want to try. I know that you're probably not going to care for my dear, but uh, <laughs> as someone with an aversion to seafood... 
it's not an, necessarily an aversion to seafood. It's just I don't like most of it. I know you don't like anyway, crab. You no, know, okay. If crab is involved, no. The answer is no. No, so I will be probably making Courtney's crab cakes myself. Oh, God, no. <laughs> Ooh, mm, nom, 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 nom. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Thank stay- you so much for joining us here on The Cat Who Did a Podcast. I'm Susan Romsdorf-Terry. And I'm Luke Romsdorf-Terry. And until next time, happy sleuthing. <laughs> and stay nosy, my friends. And stay hungry. <laughs> <laughs>